Ben. Oh, uh, I forgot. I got to make a phone call. Could you guys just wait a minute while I make this call? I'm going to call my friend Jerry. Uh, hang on just a minute. Uh, is this the village of Mount Kisco government offices? Yes, yes. Oh, good, good. Uh, I'd like to speak to Jerry, please. Hey, Jerry, this is Steve. Morrow. <laughs> CBC. Yeah, yeah, okay, you got it, you got it. Yeah, I know you're busy, I know you're busy, but I wanted to tell you I was speaking at CBC. Yeah, yeah, I, I knew you weren't going to be there, but I wanted to, to be sure that you knew. Um, the topic? Oh, it's uh, gentleness. Uh, no, I didn't draw the short straw. Uh, I chose it myself, as a matter of fact. Um, well, you know, I kind of always saw myself as sort of gentle and meek, you know. Yes, me. Well, listen, I know you're busy. I just wanted to make sure you got the tape and you listened to uh, the message. Uh, so I, I, I got to go. I'm kind of in the middle of something. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. All right. Uh, got to go, Jer. Uh, sorry. Uh, got to go, Your Honor. Uh, see you soon. Okay, thanks. Bye. Our topic today is gentleness. So why did you pick it? Why did you choose, of all the nine that were there, why didn't you get something that might have a little more pizzazz to it? I think you're going to find as we look at it uh, that there is a lot of pizzazz to it. Uh, it is key to us. It's a fruit of the spirit, and at the same time, it is a character trait. And that's why Dick had suggested that we spend the summer looking at the fruit of the spirit in terms of character traits and how they apply to us as Christians. To help us in our understanding of gentleness, we're going to look at the Lord Jesus Christ as he modeled gentleness, specifically in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jess read it to you. So first, we're going to look, define the word. We've got to know what it means. Second of all, we're going to do a quick review of the events in the garden. And then lastly, we're going to try to apply how Christ was gentle or used the aspect of gentleness in different situations related to the garden. Okay, what does gentleness mean? Well, those Greek scholars would know that the word in Greek is praoutes. I looked it up. And uh, it is a word that means not being overly impressed by a sense of one's own self-importance. Okay? Humility, all right? Courtesy, considerateness, and meekness. One other commentator said, it's being meek doesn't imply that we never feel impatience or anger, but rather those feelings are controlled. Okay? The Greek praotes means gentleness and mildness. It has truthfully been stated many times that meekness is not weakness. I would have thought it was but strength under control. Gentleness in the New Testament applies, as we said in the key biblical truth, to our relationship with God, as well as our relationship to men and women around us. So, to summarize, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit and a Christian character trait that keeps behavior under control by forsaking self in favor of humility and meekness keeps behavior under control by forsaking self in favor of humility and meekness.
Keep that in mind. That definition will be important and we'll see Christ put it to work and it'll be a reminder for us and how we can put it to work. Let's just kind of rehearse the events that went on that day. It was just after midnight on Friday morning. The Lord Jesus and 11 disciples, Judas left already to work with the uh, religious leadership to betray him. But Jesus and the 11 disciples left Jerusalem, walked along the wall, walked through the Kidron Valley and up the Mount of Olives to a garden that was called Gethsemane. They had been spending the night there during the week. The week had begun when Christ rode into Jerusalem and there were the accolades of the crowd. Estimates were 250,000 people were there to greet him. Of course, many of them turned against him very shortly thereafter. But during that week, he taught, he appeared, but at night, he stayed in the garden. Christ asked eight of the disciples to wait right by the gate as they walked into the garden, and he took three disciples with him, Peter, James, and John, further inside. He said his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, and he asked them to pray that they now enter into temptation and to watch with him be his companions. He then withdrew about a stone's throw from Peter, James, and John to pray alone. He prayed privately for uh, three times. And the estimate is an hour each time. So the prayer was three hours. The first time he said, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. The next two times, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, May your will be done. Three disciples fell asleep in sorrow each time. Judas, meantime, was working with the religious leadership, a plan that was now put into motion. They gathered all of the temple police. These were Jewish policemen, if you will, around the temple. They even got a unit of 600 Roman soldiers, commanded by a Roman officer, the religious leaders, the police, the soldiers, everybody left to seize Jesus in the middle of the night. Remember, it was after midnight. While the Lord Jesus was speaking to Peter, James, and John, Judas arrived. He led the crowd carrying clubs, swords, and torches. It was at night. There was a full moon. But if you look at a picture of an olive tree, and some of them uh, are still there on the Mount of Olives, and they are kind of a gnarly-looking large tree, and I'm sure there were a lot of shadows They arrived, and as they arrived, Christ stepped forward, and he asked, who, do you, who are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. And Christ replied, I am he. But using the powerful word, I am, was deity. The impact of his words pushed them back, and they fell to the ground. John tells us about that. Afterward, Judas realized what he was there for, and that initial shock was over, so he went, and, and he kissed Jesus. That was the signal. See, the one I kiss is the one where you arrest, and I can step to the side, and you can arrest him and take him away. Peter took his sword to strike at a man named Malchus, the high priest's servant who was standing near him, and he ended up cutting off his ear. Christ told him to put up his sword and healed the man's ear right there on the spot. The Lord Jesus Christ was then bound perhaps shackles, perhaps ropes, and he was taken away. The 11 disciples then fled as Christ said they would. 
It was 3 o'clock in the morning of the day Christ would be crucified. The Lord Jesus Christ modeled the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to see how he did that in terms of that word gentleness or meekness. Do you remember at the beginning of Matthew when the Lord described himself? He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's Matthew eleven twenty nine. That word, gentle, is an adverb related to the same word, praotes, gentleness. In the time we have remaining, let's look at the two ways Christ modeled gentleness, because it is powerful and it is important for us as Christians. If you know the Lord, this is good stuff. Dealing with God. Gentleness submits to God's will. Gentleness submits to God's will. The Lord Jesus Christ was sent to die on the cross as a substitute for men and women who would otherwise die in their sins. That was the mission. The Father sent him to do that. That's what he was supposed to do. The events in the garden were a prelude to what was about to happen and his sacrifice on the cross. The sin of the people of the world would be placed upon him and he would have to endure God's wrath for his own sin? No, for your sin and for mine. So what do you mean by submitting to God's will? Well, we know the plan. The plan was to rescue us. We know that sin, our sin, was to be placed upon him. And we knew that God was going to viciously punish his son for that sin. So Christ said, going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this, be, this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And later he prayed twice more, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. Three hours of prayer about the cup, an Old Testament symbol of the cup of wrath of God that someone would drink, and in this case, Christ would. The application of this type of gentleness is clear. We must choose God's will even when it is difficult and undesirable. I don't like that. I like to have my own choice. I like to be able to pick and choose and have God bless what I've decided to do. James Boyce writes, what does it mean to pray according to God's will? First, it means putting God and his interests first in our lives. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our concern should be for God's kingdom and God's glory rather than our own. If it is, many of the things that trouble us will fade away, he writes, and we will even willingly embrace things that are themselves undesirable, difficult, or painful. Jesus accepted the cross and its horrors because he had learned by praying that it was the determined will of God. Small thought here. Notice the prayer from the first to the second, from verse 39 to verse 42. 
There used to be an old expression, prayer changes things. We've heard it. But you know what I like better? Prayer changes me. And it really does. The Lord's Prayer altered from verse 39 to verse 42. He got in sync with what God's will was. He knew it. But as he prayed, he got to the point where he said, if it is not possible, yet not as I will, but as you will. Remember the men who were thrown into the uh, furnace in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel's three friends? And when they were about to be thrown in, the king wanted them to bow before him. But they wouldn't. And they said, we believe God is able to deliver us. But if not, we still will not bow to you. Prayer ties into God's will, and it's a growth process for us as believers. But quickly, let's move on. Gentleness knows the power of God. There were vast resources that were available. The estimates were there could have been 600 Roman soldiers, some say less. But there was the Passover going on, and a lot of troops were moved up from Caesarea. And they were in town to control the crowd, so it's very possible it could have been 600. Matthew calls them a great crowd, a large crowd. He used to do that when he described how the people came to Christ for healing. So it was a pretty good crowd, and they surrounded the garden, and they filled the garden. And you remember Peter? Peter bought himself a sword. And he took it out and he wanted to strike the first person in front of him. And it happened to be Malchus. And Christ stopped him and said, put your sword away. After he had done the damage and Christ healed. He said, don't you realize? Do you, not, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Our God has power. And we like to know that he does have that power. And he does rescue us and help us. But we must choose his will sometimes over our own relief. The cavalry is there. But sometimes that's not the will of God. So gentleness is knowing the power of God and knowing when it's appropriate. Dealing with men and women. Gentleness humbly faces hostile people. Are there any hostile people in your life? People who just don't like you? They don't even know why? <laughs> or maybe they do. While he was still speaking, verse 47, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Our application of this form of gentleness is to watch Christ and how he humbly deals with these people. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. 
I want everybody to like me, but they don't. Bishop Ryle from the 1800s writes, the sovereignty of God over everything done on earth is absolute and complete. The hands of the wicked are bound until he allows them to work. They can do nothing without his permission, but that is not all. The hands of the wicked cannot stir one moment before God allows them to start and cannot continue one moment after God has commanded them to stop. An aspect of gentleness, humbly facing hostile people. Gentleness also meekly accepts betrayal. Judas was one of the twelve and spent three years traveling with Christ, eating with him, hearing his teaching, seeing his miracles. Yet he approached the religious leadership to offer to betray the Lord for 30 pieces of silver, the price of buying a slave. How could he do that? Frustration didn't come to power. The other disciples might not have liked him. They didn't even have a clue. Now the betrayer had arranged, verse 50, a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. The Darby translation of Mark 14.45, because Peter was there too, and he told Mark, And being come straightway, coming up to him, he says, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he covered him with kisses. What nerve. Applying this aspect of gentleness to ourselves means trusting the Lord with the hurt and consequences when a close friend or family member, even a Christian, betrays us. And they do, don't they? David wrote in Psalm 41, even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his hand, his heel against me. I know that you are pleased with me, for my enemy does not triumph over me. In my integrity, you hold me and set me in your presence forever. Again, Bishop Ryle, if there is one trial greater than another, it is the trial of being disappointed in those we love. It is a bitter cup which all true Christians have frequently to drink. Ministers fail them, relations fail them, friends fail them. One cistern after another proves to be broken and to hold no water. But let them take comfort in the thought that there is one unfailing friend, even Jesus, who can be touched with the feelings of their infirmities and has tasted of all their sorrows. Jesus know what, knows what it is to see friends and disciples failing him in an hour of need. But he manifested that aspect of gentleness, trusting his father, when someone betrayed him, trusting his father when the disciples all ran away. Gentleness lets others take control. The Lord Jesus allowed the men to come to bind his arms behind his back and then take him away because his father was in charge. The gentleness application here is for us to trust the Lord when others take control of us. We can't believe this is happening to us. We don't understand why the, the, the boss is doing this to us. What did I do? Gentleness is letting others take control because you as a believer know that Christ is in charge. 
Christ told Peter something I don't think I would have wanted to hear. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. <laughs> Scary, huh? But if you know that the one who is ultimately in charge is the God of love, it's okay. One last one and we're done. Gentleness shows kindness to enemies. The Lord took time to hear, heal Malchus, the servant of the high priest. One commentator speculated that he was like a, a right-hand man, a right-hand person that would be at the beck and call of the high priest. And the high priest had worked with Judas to put this plan into operation. Leave the ear off. Leave him in pain. And he was probably bleeding pretty profusely and crying out. And what did the Lord do? No more of this, he said, and he touched the man's ear and healed him. The application for this type of gentleness for us is not to neglect kindness to others, even when the others are our enemies. Paul wrote to Titus, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. So what's our challenge this morning? The Lord Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. Well, wait a minute, let me understand this. As soon as I accept Christ as my Savior, I'm a Christian, right? Okay, then the Holy Spirit comes to indwell me, right? Yes, yes, true, true. But then what happens? Doesn't the fruit of the Spirit come automatically? Right again. But the Lord said, this is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. MacArthur writes, the Spirit never fails to produce some fruit in a believer's life, but the Lord desires much fruit. A believer possessing a redeemed new nature will inevitably manifest that new nature in the fruit of the Spirit. But it's always possible for the believer to bear and manifest more fruit if he is receptive to the Spirit. The Spirit wants to foster more fruit from you. Part of the fruit is gentleness, submitting to the will of God, being kind to even those who are enemies, dealing with hostile people, falling under control, knowing there's power but not wanting it to interfere with God's will. All of that, the Lord wants more. Philip adds, as we live in the Spirit, so are we to walk in the Spirit. And as we do, there will be much fruit. Let's follow the lead of the Holy Spirit in our lives to see more of gentleness, Christians. I'm talking to me. I'm talking to you. There's some here in our audience who don't know what it means to have salvation. We heard about a lot of it. Maybe you've come into contact like uh, Mark's friend Bob. The two came and, and, and talked and talked about the Lord at least some of the time. Maybe you don't quite get it. 
Well, you know, that very day that we were reading about, Jesus Christ was put through some mock trials, then was condemned to death, and he was put to death in probably one of the most horrible forms possible. No lethal injection, and after a few minutes you die. This was designed to make you suffer and die for hours. Jesus Christ died, yet he willingly went to the cross and was executed on the very day he was arrested in the garden. He took upon himself your sin and my sin and suffered God's anger for it. It wasn't him. It was for us. Christ paid the penalty each of us owed to God. Now, if we accept this fact personally, we are forgiven, how long? Forever. And we will be free to live for the Lord from now on. And then the fruit will be manifested in your life, and you'll try to cultivate it and do more. We're going to pray and close. But I ask that you pray to yourself if you don't know Christ as your Savior, and acknowledge that Christ died to pay for your sin, not just everybody's, but yours in particular. Then ask him to take control of your life. And watch what happens. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your great love to us, for bringing each one here today. Father, we pray for us as believers that we might make you happy by producing more fruit in our lives, including the fruit of gentleness. And Father, for those who do not know Jesus Christ, Lord, may they find him today and write the first chapter of their story today, believing that their sin was placed upon Jesus Christ on the cross and he bled and died under your punishment that those who receive him can go free. Father, we pray that you would speak to hearts this morning. We know your spirit must do the work, but Christians, we pray that would remember to pray this morning for these ones. Thank you again for such a spectacular morning and for the celebration for the great week. Bless us throughout the rest of the day and this week. May others see Jesus Christ in us.